Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, welcome back to Inside Sources. So glad to have you joining us today. I'm Jason Perry, Director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. I'm Morgan Lyoncotti, Associate Director. Uh, Morgan, good to be with you. And I, I have to say, I'm pretty excited to have our next guest on. As am I. Well, not very often uh, do you see someone working on a project where it's so important and you have to talk to people and they say, uh, I can't believe we're not doing this. It's so interesting. I've been in the room and you literally see the light bulb. Well, you don't literally. You figuratively see the light bulb goes off, go off in people's heads and say, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. It just totally does. And the pe- person, one of the people making sense of all of it and pushing this project, it's called the Utah Period Project, is Mary Catherine Perry. Thank you for being with us, Mary Catherine. Thank you both, Jason and Morgan. You're two of my favorite people, too. <laughs> You're the best. You are great. Mary, Mary Catherine, will you please just t- tell us what the Utah Period Project is aiming to do uh, n- right now and also through this next legislative session? Sure. So I am part of what's called the Policy Project, and that was founded by Emily Bell McCormick. And she has been working on policy period policy for a while. I've been working recently on public education advocacy. Um, we kind of came together. She's brought other people in on the team um, to work towards kind of resolving some of the issues that we have in in the world, but specifically Utah around menstruation and kind of rethinking how we address the menstrual needs of truly like half of our population. This is so normal and like removing the stigma around that. And, you know, it, it really is something that once you, you see how to rethink this, you can't unthink it. So once we've spoken to people about, you know, this really is something that so normal and happens to half of our population and specifically in our public schools. And that's where kind of we're, we're channeling our energy right now. We don't have a remedy for, for girls in our schools who start their periods maybe unexpectedly or who need product or who don't have that support at home. Because as we know, one in five girls can't afford period products. And that's a lot. Well, it, it is. Uh, and, and it's one of those things when you, you're, you're right, you just you can't unthink that. You cannot stop thinking about what a significant effort we need to uh, go forward with here. And your effort is to put uh, free period products in all public schools. 
Right, exactly. So we have been working with the legislature and also private donors. We have a bill file. It's about to be numbered. We're really close. Um, Representative Lizenby is our um, legislative sponsor on that bill. And it will um, require elementary, middle, and high schools to offer free period products in the restrooms of those schools. Now, what's amazing about this is that we have private donors, the Larry and Gail Miller um, foundation and the Andrus Family Foundations have combined um, given $2 million towards this project to fund the dispensers. And then the legislature is going to appropriate money to fill those with pads and tampons for our girls in school. Um, I, I think just about every girl and woman has a period story, you know, whether you're caught off guard or you're worried about it so you can't concentrate in a meeting or in school. And we want to help those girls stay in school. We don't want them to go home because they're worried about it or they don't have, um, you know, the the products they need to manage that period at school. And we want to make sure just like toilet paper is in every single bathroom and our our school restrooms, we want to make sure that period products are there for them as well. It's just so interesting. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about how periods affect girls and women in poverty a little bit more and how that can have bigger ramifications on their education and on their lives. Sure, and that's a great question because when somebody is struggling to afford food, they 100% are struggling to afford period products. And we have women in our state who are having to choose between food on the table and managing their period. And if you can't manage that, it's really difficult to go out in public. Um, And we find that um, statistically, girls who are about eight or nine um, there's, that's when they're starting, you know, about 10% of girls are starting their periods about eight or nine years old. Um, and then girls who are living in situations with poverty, that number increases to almost 35%. And so when you know that um, those numbers are starting younger and younger and you watch trends over, over time, girls are starting those periods younger and younger. And especially at those young, vulnerable ages, they're often prone to surprises, they, um, they, some of them don't even quite know what's happening sometimes. And schools have become these places where we kind of offer a lot of different kinds of support to students. And if we want to keep them in school, if we want them to go to PE and play on their sports teams with confidence um, and security, we absolutely need to offer those in the restrooms. When you look at this issue, Mary Catherine, you know, apart from all these great things you just talked about, how is access to period products at its heart also an equity issue? Well, it's it impacts, like we said, half of our population. And there's not an equivalent on the male side for this. It's it only impacts people who menstruate. And so that's half of our population. If we can keep girls and students who are menstruating in school, it helps everyone. We want to make sure that everyone has access to classroom time, to instruction, to sports teams, to, you know, their part-time jobs that they go to after school. And we don't want them to have to choose between food and pads and tampons or, you know, go if they have to go home because they weren't able to manage that and so they miss a shift at work or they miss a test in class. It's, it's about making sure when you help these girls stay in school, you're actually helping everyone. Can, 
Can you talk a little bit about how you communicate about this? I mean, apart from women having their stories about, you know, having these awkward experiences, they also have stories about awkward conversations. As a teenager, I remember my mother once saying, before we all had cell phones, your father's going to call to see what we need from groceries. You need, you need to ask him for to buy some tampons. And I just remember mm-hmm. cringing. And she's like, you have to be able to talk to him about that. So how do you talk to these legislators, to maybe more traditional people that are just not used to using these words as much as you use them when you communicate about this? Absolutely. And it's kind of funny because at our house, we've become so used to talking about pads and tampons that sometimes I forget that other people are a little embarrassed or it becomes a little awkward. And I have to remember, oh, wait, not everybody else talks about this as much as I do. But yes, it can be kind of... Um, a new conversation to have. And that's why we're kind of changing the way people think about this. We've talked to so many people our age who are like, I'm so glad you're talking. I mean, who are older than us, a generation older who are like, I'm so glad you're talking about this now because when I was younger, nobody talked about this. It was shameful. It was embarrassing. Um, Period products at the grocery store were wrapped in brown bags so nobody could see what you were buying, you know, and we're trying to change the the thinking around that so that it's it's normalized it's natural it's it's okay but if you think about how awkward it is for grown-ups to talk about it imagine you're 10 years old or even 13 years old and you have to leave your class you may have stained your clothing you have to walk down the hallway go to the office ask an adult for a pad or a tampon, and maybe there are five other people standing in the office, and then you have to take that, walk back to the bathroom, and then manage your menstrual needs. I mean, imagine how hard that is for a child. And if they can access those things in a restroom, in their own personal space, we're really just empowering them to to manage those things themselves without potential embarrassment. Thank you for the great information, Mary Catherine, and the great effort. These are definitely conversations that need to happen, and you're, you're handling it well. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me on today. Okay, you want to stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about some voting, Morgan. Can't wait. Can't I love talking wait. about voting. Okay, we might as well do it because we should be doing it. Come on back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor... You'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.